Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is The Flowcast. On The Flowcast today, we have Sam Udema, the CEO of TTS, and what a story Sam has. It might sound like a made-up story, yet in 2007, an extreme slide tackle in an English national rugby game snapped Sam's leg in two. Closely followed by a homemade YouTube video calling brands to leverage her new leg cast and bid for advertising space for a slot. The video went viral and earned over 27,000 views. Sam Udema has never regarded difficulty as a barrier to success. In fact, she relishes the challenge. Trusted to advise on all things digital, as social media resident for Channel 7, The Financial Review, The Age and The Herald Sun, Sam has gained popularity as an expert, speaking at corporate events for her top-tier brands in Australia, England, Germany and South Africa. Her energy is infectious, her advice is sound, authentic and achievable. As a CEO of TTS, Sam has built her business over the last 11 years off the back of mistakes, learning curves and challenges inherently unique to working with technology in a constant state of flux. Pivoting is necessary, refocusing is critical. This is why Sam is so trusted by brands, athletes, CEOs and corporates from many, many industries because she's always finds an opportunity in a challenge. Permanently guided by the why, Sam grows the narratives of brands through education, strategy, creativity and partnerships and reminds everyone she meets that if you really want something bad enough, you'll always find a way to make it happen. And for me, a constant reminder that if life gives you a broken leg, sell it and just build a new one. If you'd like to learn more about TTS and how you could partner with them to help your brand, go to thinktanksocial.com.au. If you'd like to find out more about flow and its impact on performance and well-being in your organization, then please head to inspiredpeakperformance.com and book in a call with Paul or subscribe to the email list for the upcoming free mini course, The 7 Steps to Harnessing Flow. Enjoy the episode and please leave us a review on your preferred podcast provider if you would like to. Okay. Sam Mutima, how are you doing? Oh my goodness, Paul, I am brilliant now I'm speaking with you. Thank you very much for asking. Oh, that is very kind, very kind. Um, I'm super excited to have you on the Flowcast um, for, for a number of reasons, but mostly I've been following you on social media for um, a little while now and, and I am drawn quickly and easily to your energy that you put out on on social media and 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 there's always seems to be excitement around what you're doing and and then getting to know you through some conversations recently you are up to some pretty exciting things and you've had a pretty exciting journey to where you are today currently as the ceo of think tank social so 
being the flow cast that it is, we're just going to let this conversation flow. But I know you've got some really important messages within your story that we want to share with people um, that can be drawn from entrepreneurs like yourself, um, CEO, executive leaders, athletes, you know, artists, musicians, whatever background, your story will resonate with a lot of people. And, uh, and, and I'm excited to, to get this out and share it with people because, because uh, it just in our little conversations we've had, you know, you've, you've already impacted me and given me a lot of value <laughs> and some lessons around what, what I've learned. So, so let's jump into rugby. Good old rugby. Yes. <laughs> rugby. Now you're obviously from England. Tell us where you're from and let's start, you know, how did you get into rugby and why is this such an important part of your journey? Well, I'm, I'm from Essex, so I'm a traditional Essex girl for people that know what that connotation means. Um, and my dad was heavily into rugby and he really encouraged me to get into, into the game. I come from a sporting background. I love sport at school, but um, I was interested about rugby because I saw it as a boys game and I'm, I was naturally a tomboy when I was growing up, so I was really curious. And when I got into rugby, what I found was that, you know, everyone is unique in that team, in that, in that position, from the winger to the number eight. Like, everyone has a different role, and rugby is for everybody, like everybody as well, from tall to skinny to short to whatever size, like wherever you come from. Um, and, and I loved it. And I just loved the connection. I loved the community. And I really learned a lot from playing rugby in terms of where I am now, those whole transferable skills around, you know, courage, being bold, um, communication, drive, find a way, can do. That came from rugby. Like, I don't know if I was born with it, but I remember I started to really understand the power of it at 15 years old. 15, yeah. It's, it's amazing how sport can teach us at such a young age about resiliency, courage, teamwork, um, connection, and, and, and just and a lot about ourselves and our the way we handle adversity, stress, mm -hmm. and also victory as well. And, and, and I think when you come from an athlete background, sometimes you don't know that you can transfer all those skills over to everyday life or other um, ventures in the world that, that may come post-sport or alongside of sport. Agreed. Like it's massive. I just came off the phone with Christy, who heads up EY Global, um, just around athlete talent transition and so forth. And she said that 94% of C-suite executives actually had a sporting background, which just shows, you know, there's transferable skills into Ernst & Young and um, around, yeah, resilience, teamwork, find a way, uh, work together, resilience. So it's, it's huge. And yeah. I'm all for empowering yeah, young females to stay in sport because I heard some stats the other day, like a lot of 14-year-old females now are really dropping out of sport. And if I didn't have sport, I don't, I really don't think I'd be where I am today with the skills and the learnings and everything that it's given me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The the stats on girls in particular that are dropping out of sport is scary mm -hmm. um, for a number of reasons, not just for the, the impact it can have later in life, but also that, you know, the, the development of of who they are as, as young young women. I think it's really important. Um, and young men as well that, that experience what it's like to be a part of a team or play a sport. Like it's, it's really important, not to mention the mental health benefits, um, what exercise does for our bodies and, and yeah. health and well-being is really important. So, 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 and I know we're going to get into all this, these 
cool topics and and uh, and we're going to solve the problems of the world in about an hour or so here. <laughs> we will but find a way, Paul. <laughs> we will, we will. Um, but so tell me a little bit, um, let's fast forward from rugby. Um, actually, no, let's stay on rugby because you actually represented the country uh, in rugby. So tell me a bit from where you started rugby to that journey of representing England at a, on an international level. <laughs> You know what? I never even focused on playing for England. I just, every time I got on the pitch, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, you know, give it everything, go to bed early, think through my game, like play the best I can, come off the pitch and, and refocus and go again. And I was luckily that I actually got scouted at a very early age, 15, got into England students at 16, wow. spending uh, playing time with, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds. It was really, I suppose, intimidating on some level. Uh, but I had to push through it because I, I wanted to learn from them and I wanted to be better. And just focusing on being better, growing, just enabled me to then fast track into, into the England squad, which playing at Twickenham and, and the Millennium Stadium in Wales, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm here. But I didn't have a goal to get there, which was strange, right, because we, we all set goals, but I just had a goal of getting better like and being uncomfortable, like being comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's what right. really gave me momentum to get to the squad. So you really focus on the process of improvement. So the day-to-day, you know, how can I be better today? Yeah. And that just sort of naturally took me there. Led you to represent the country. Yeah. That's that's pretty phenomenal. And we talk a lot about that, you know, trust the process, you know, be in the process, be in the moment, do the work today, the results will come. Totally, because it is sort of scary if you're setting a benchmark, like I want to be an Olympian, I want to be, I want to play for England. Obviously, that's important and that's what drives a lot of athletes. But for me, it was like, yeah, I didn't. I was just going in with um, giving it my best and there was no expectation on an outcome that I need to get to this next level. It was just like, be your best, get better, like bring the team in. How can you help grow these young you know, young team members now that are coming in? I can help them as well. That's what yeah. I gave me the buzz. Yeah. And, and, and what was the supporting mindset behind that? I mean, as a 15, 16-year-old young girl coming and competing with, you know, 18, 19 year old, you know, young, young women who obviously would have a physical um, leg up on you for, for lack of better terms. In New Zealand, uh, they did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's a, from the age of 15, 16 to 18, 19, 20, there's a lot of, lot of growing and a lot of size that, that comes with that um, and experience. So, so what was, I mean, there must have been some fear behind that. And, and what did you do to, to sort of, Trump that to get a, get above it. Fear drives me, Paul. I yeah. love it. Like I said to you in our chat, I like I love getting you know bruised up. I love like I love taking mad risks back then anyway. And um, just because I felt like embracing fear then gave made me fearless. It, again, it's strange, but it just I love the fact that it's I'm uncomfortable. And so playing with those girls, like luckily I, I was pretty tall back then, but I mentally wasn't didn't have the wisdom and the life experience that they did. So, like, even though I was there in size on some level, apart from some countries that had girls that were just <laughs> massive yeah, and powerful, um, yeah, well, I just lacked the life experience. So I was, yeah, just pushed myself each day to make conversations with these girls, felt really uncomfortable, um, was really self-conscious, you know, in the showers, just like, oh, my God, like, it just felt weird. Um, and, but then over time they were really lovely and they, they helped me and they took me under their wing and, because they did, I wanted to do that with the young girls in coming to the squad as well. Yeah, and what was what was the um, 
in terms of, you know, from family standpoint, like starting rugby, I know your dad was into rugby and then you jumping on board with that and then that transition, like how was that the support and how important was the support that they gave you in that journey? No, it was huge. Mum was driving me to Birmingham, you know, three or four hours away from where we were living just for training sessions, you know, oh, and then wow. I would, yeah, and, and then we're going to London Wednesdays and Saturdays. Like, we did a lot of travel. My mum was there. My dad was there, but working more. But mum was there. She travelled. Yeah, she took me around. And then my, I influenced my mates to come and play rugby. So then they were coming and playing with the team. But then they would drive me around as well and help me get to national squad levels, like in terms of our training sessions and matches. So it was, yeah, it was full on. Yeah. I loved it. And if I didn't have that support, I would have found a way. But I was so grateful for my mum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that's so cool. Okay, so... We have represented England, and so, so what what happens then? So what age are we at? Well, let's talk about about twenty one years of age now. So what what what's the path of life from this point? So always wanted to be a PE teacher and love helping people, love sport, and wanted to influence as many people, young people as I could get into it because I knew what it gave me. So I went into that hardest inner London school. Um, which was in desperate measures. And I was like, right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to turn it around. You know, I felt like, again, invincible, unstoppable. I play for England. I'm going to go and help these kids. Um, and I did. But what I found over the four years of being there was I got run down and I couldn't help everyone. You know, I shouldn't have thought I could, you know. But um, it got to the point where I, I just felt like I was not really adding any more value and I wasn't getting any value back from the school. So Always used to watch Neighbours, fancy Dr. Carl Kennedy. I'm like, right, I'm heading over to Ramsey Street. That's it for a year. And I jumped on a plane with my sister and my mate and said goodbye to my school and literally just embraced the uncertainty of it. I didn't have any plans. I didn't have a job. Um, but I just wanted to travel and I definitely wanted to meet Carl. And I did. And when I did, was a little bit let down <laughs> because I had an expectation of this. And, of course, he wasn't Dr. Carl Kennedy. He was an actor. <laughs> But anyway, he drove, he drove me and neighbours drove me over here. Thank God. <laughs> so we have him to thank for your uh, for you being here in Australia. So yes. <laughs> that's that's huge, awesome. So we did some travelling, um, and at that point there was was there any? You know, what was the mindset? Were you just sort of? Did you have any sort of ideas of where you wanted to go with your life? Like what? You, did you want to become an entrepreneur? Did you want to play more rugby? Like what was your? Or you were just like in party mode and travel mode, like speaking out adventure. Yes, adventure. That was what it was, adventure and travel mode. And I didn't, I don't think I even knew what an entrepreneur was. Um, so no, I, what I did know was I could always fall back to teaching, supply teaching in Australia, and I knew there was a demand for it. So I kind of had that as my my plan B, but my my purpose was to go and meet as many people as possible to have as many experiences as possible. I wanted to go to Sydney, like that was my number one. And, but when I came to Melbourne, I was like, I want to live here. This is insane. Like, I thought I'd want to live in Sydney, but I stayed in Melbourne and, and have done for what, 11, 12, 13, more years now. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. yeah coming, coming from Melbourne myself, I might be slightly biased, but I do prefer Melbourne. As they are. So even, diverse. Even though I live in the Gold Coast now, I do miss Melbourne. It's a good place. <laughs> Especially now, considering that you guys have just, yesterday, been let out of lockdown as well. Yeah, yeah, we're going wild. There's keys for the hairdressers. Uh, there's coffee shops. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a it's a bit weird actually coming out of it. And I'm a very social person, but I, I was just a bit like, oh, it's a lot of people. Like this is 
bit unfamiliar. Like it hasn't been like that for a long time. Yeah. But everyone's going nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> on social media, I'm seeing friends friends that live in, in Victoria, in particular Melbourne, posting pictures of food and, and all sorts of like random things that they would never post about. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God, I have a takeaway coffee. Yes. In my hand this very moment and it's amazing. Yes, yes. Standing on the beach, stand between your toes, you know, you're out yeah. that 5K radius. So yeah. Yeah. But it's it's amazing that you know, hopefully we can we can use this experience to go, oh, what what are the little present the moments in present time that we can be really grateful for, appreciative for, like go, actually you know what? The sand be- between my toes actually feels really cool. Yeah. You know, but we actually probably don't stand and then take time to actually think about that, you know, in normal sense. So hopefully, you know, we can we can spend more time feeling the sand between our toes because of this new awareness, a heightened awareness around what's happened. So, um, but again, I want to touch on that a bit later. So I want to keep on your story because we're getting some to the good parts, <laughs> the really cool parts. So, so we're traveling around and. So you wanted to be in Melbourne, um, but you'd, you you didn't spend that much time in Melbourne at that point, did you? You moved on to Perth, I believe. Yeah, started in Perth, then came to Melbourne, um, and then needed to break away from my sister and best mate, even though I loved them to death. Like it was just getting like a bit full on. I just needed to just go and be me and go and sample Queensland. So I went up to uh, Cape Tribulation which was incredible and um, put myself on a diving course and met my dive instructor, Craig, who, well, they're married <laughs> down the track. But I was up As, you, as you do when you yeah. go diving. Yeah. Lawns, you know, yeah. And um, couldn't really survive there more than three months, to be frank. Like most people would love it and it was beautiful, but I didn't. it didn't have the movement. It didn't have the busyness and the drive and the innovation that I was hungry for. So then I came back to Melbourne and I brought him along with me. Uh, he was from Melbourne anyway, so he was like, okay, we're going. I'm just leaving the best office in the world, the Great Barrier Reef, but I'll come to Melbourne, <laughs> which we did. <laughs> and then when we got here, it was, right, I need to get a job and supply teach for a bit. Went on a, a course with the Coaching Institute around neuro-linguistic programming, life coaching, and merged those two together and then went back home and broke my leg playing rugby and that's where it all got started. <laughs> okay so let's talk about this you went so did these courses you sort of found a passion for this this coaching thing and, and the way that you know language and patterns and all these things around behavior were really significant in people's the way people operated and and how significant some subtle shifts around that could make a huge difference in people's lives but you went back to england and you played rugby and you broke your leg yeah her name was tanya and I love her to death now, but I hated her at the time. I was on the pitch for like three minutes. I hadn't played for a while. The ball came towards me, sprinting down the wing. I'm like, yeah, I've still got this. And she came in just before I dived over the try line, slid tackled me and snapped from the knee into my whole leg, just snapped into bang. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, as you do, they took me off and I, I slammed a few um, snake bite and blacks as we call it, to get rid of the pain, probably not the best thing to do, but anyway, and got taken to hospital and waited in hospital for nearly three weeks uh, to get my, my leg in a cast. 
like a proper car, so I can then go back home in the UK and had to wait three months before I could come back to Australia, which was frustrating because you can't fly in a car, of course. Yeah, no. So so you've broken your leg, you're you're back in the UK, Um, Craig was with you, he had to go back to Australia. And so, but this was a, a pretty significant pivotal moment in your life. Like we talk about those moments of transition, the moments, these aha moments, the, the things that happened. What was the, what was the point that, what, what happened that, that led you to now down this path that you've been on for the last 10 or so years into, into where you are today? It was for me not moving. I mean, and not just physically moving because I struggled because I had a cast from my hip to my toe. Like my mind wasn't moving. And I was like, right, I, n- I need to do something to, to keep my mind active and moving. And whilst my body probably can't move as much. And I'd heard of social media back then. I was on Twitter back in 2007. So pretty much an early adopter. And just because I was curious about it. And I learned a bit of the psychology around it. And I thought, right, well, what can I do with this cast? Um, and I had some mates over one night and we had a few gin and tonics and we came up with the idea for me to get on YouTube and to do a little YouTube clip around getting businesses to bid for advertising space on my broken leg and the top four bidders. We would paint on the cast, which I got in trouble with afterwards because you're not meant to put house paint on a cast, um, to earn some money and, you know, just to see if there's any anything in this social media game. And there was. I had no expectation of what would happen popped it up on YouTube, reached out to a few people on Twitter to say, you know, if this is going to add value to your following on some level, please retweet it, please share it. The BBC got their hands on it. And from there, the next morning, I woke up with 27,000 views on YouTube, 6,000 Twitter followers. And I was like, game on. Now I'm moving. <laughs> wow. It was like endorphins. It was new. It was like un- yeah, unwalked territory. I was so curious about it and hungry to learn that, that was going to set my sail and I called up my mum because she'd come over to Australia to see me but obviously I was at her house and said I'm, I'm not going to pursue teaching anymore I, I, I found my new passion I it's it's people it's it's innovation it's I don't know where it's going to go but it really excites me and she said you've gone to university for four years you know you've got a bachelor of education uh, you know this is what you wanted to do and now you're throwing away from some technology and social media like really and I said yeah and she didn't yeah. back me for it yeah. I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and she really didn't. Um, and I, I focused in learning and literally was in the trenches and teaching myself how do people connect on social, what channels, how do I get them to do something in a meaningful way, how do I get them to engage with me, what value am I going to give? And it was about two years and I was up, you know, up early, up late, just studying human behaviour online. Mm. And it fulfilled me. So I, I followed it. And everyone said it wouldn't work. All my mates, this is too crazy. There's nothing in it. It's what people put their food up on. And I was like, nah, where there's people, there's opportunity, there's money, there's growth, and I'm all chips in on it. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. So what was the thing that, you know, you, you said there was, you know, there was endorphins, there was all this, there was all this chemistry around it. So what was the feeling behind it? Like, can you, can you give me a bit more insight into that? You know, what, what was it? Excitement, risk, growth, meeting new people in a different way before and actually showing my mum that I can do this. Yeah, so there's a small bit of of spite in it as well. Yeah, there always is, right, in these stories. Which is, yeah, exactly, yeah. There's there's always that element of the 
the, the darker thing that, that drives us forward is the element. And there's always that. And, and, and I think that has, that plays a stronger part than most people give it credit um, at times as well. But, um, but cool. So that, so you had this, this excitement that was, you were lit up basically. Loved it. Cause I, I'm a, I'm a people person and I'm about education and I had people face to face. I could connect with people anytime, anywhere, as long as I had an internet connection device. And I could just see how this could help people. Like I remember the Queensland floods and how social media was there, you know, to warn people that the floods were going to come and, you know, the police got online and they were leveraging Facebook. And I'm like, this is a powerful tool if used right. And I, I'm, I understand there's negatives to social as well because people, people are on it, right? <laughs> there's always pros yeah. and cons in people. But, yeah, I really saw it helping people in many ways and that's why I'm still in the game today like not to say that we're a social media agents anymore we're about growing brands and growing individuals through digital and sometimes that is social sometimes it's not yeah okay so you've got this lit up passion you you've found this thing that is intrinsically motivating that is probably giving you a lot of flow and a lot of energy and a lot of vision you know so you you get back to Melbourne so what happens at that point? Like, how do you, how did you start this entrepreneurial journey? So we get back to Melbourne and get straight back on Twitter and say, hey, guys, I'm back. Let's all catch up. I'm going to arrange an event, like a networking event. We're going to call it Tweet Up Mellers, even though Melbourne don't call it Mellers. We do in the UK. And everyone was like, you sure? We're just looking forward to catching up with you. <laughs> and I found a bar down Chapel Street called The Social. And we all gathered there one evening and pretty much knowledge shared what was happening in our businesses. And it was very obvious to me that a lot of people were coming to me for consultancy advice around blogging and how to build up a Twitter following. And it's something that I hadn't even thought of offering as a service. Right. And because there was such a demand, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a social media expert. Absolutely. And at that time, ironically as well, Channel 7 News picked up on my story and said, would you be our social media resident? So I was like, well, if they think I am, then I am. So I'm going to take on this work, and which I did. And it grew over time. These events, Tweet Up Mellors, started to go from 20 people to 50. We got up to nearly 150 people. Optus came on board and sponsored it. And it was incredible. It was like you're meeting people online, offline. You're learning, you're growing. And I'm like, tick, tick, tick. And it got to the point where I couldn't actually handle all the work that was coming my way. And I'd heard of a, a guy called Ben um, that had a, well, he's, he called it a, a digital media agency, but it was him building websites, but good on him. And we paired up together and at Think Tank Media, we started in 2008 together and started to service not only small business, but Richmond Football Club, Priceline. And I was like, hang on a minute, I'm running a business now. This is, again, just like in the moment, not knowing that I wanted to play for England, then I get there in the moment, just loving it. And then I'm running a business. Now I'm working with Priceline and launching them online. Like, wow, I didn't even focus on getting there. Yeah. So you just, again, back to focusing on the day-to-day -day actions that needed to be taken and opening doors, meeting, connecting people. Yep. And uh, just basically doing the things that you love doing mm. the most. Staying mm. in my lane. And a lot of people um, back then had said to me, you know, you need to, if you're bad at organisation, you need to focus on that. And if you're, you know, bad at math, you need to focus on that. And I've always gone, no, I'm just going to focus on what we're really good at. Um, unless there's something I'm not good at, but I really need to be better at this, I can't outsource it. Um, I've just focused on what I'm good at, and it's 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 engaging with people, listening, them helping me, I'm helping them, and, and showing them what's possible, like getting them to open up and think big. 
Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So, so you've got Richmond Football Club on board now. We 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 spoke a little bit about this yesterday, and um, considering that they've just won their uh, third premiership in four years, uh, a couple of weekends ago, to as much to my dismay, being a Collingwood supporter. Um, <laughs> I have to interview right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, I do have a soft spot for Richmond. Goes back to my childhood, but. Um, but Brendan Gow came out on a limb in 2010, I believe, and, and said in the media, we are going to have over 70,000 members and we're going to be winning our third premiership by the end of 2020. And you came on board with them in 2010 um, and worked in the merchandise and in that sort of membership area, I guess, a little bit. And voila. <laughs> okay. We've unlocked. We've unlocked the secret to Richmond's success right oh here no. on the podcast. Is that? Is that what I'm? Is that what oh, I'm I would never take credit for that. We <laughs> built a Facebook app where, yeah, we could engage with that community and give them a better offering on their merch. Yeah. <laughs> like, it could be that one percenter that helped. You know what? It, it, those one percenters all add up to a, a massive contribution. I'm sure. <laughs> um, cool. So, so Richmond Priceline, these bigger clients are coming on board. And again, there's, there's you and Ben. So was, did that become overwhelming that there's all this work now starting to come in and yeah. this demand? And so, so did that put pressure on you guys as a, as a, as a partnership uh, or as a company? And, and how, did you handle, how did you handle that? It, yeah, it did massively. And I just had um, Jack as well, who's, who's my eldest. Um, so I, I remember being in the office and I'd had the – the carry cot on the floor and I'm rocking him whilst, you know, working and my developer that I'd hired is like using like this flashy mouse just to keep him entertained and quiet. It was full on and we were doing our own books and I just was like, well, we have to grow. We need to take a risk. We need to get a bookkeeper. We need an accountant, um, which we sourced. And then we needed to find good people that could do what we pitched and I couldn't find them. So I, I could find the developers, but I couldn't find the account managers. So I just, I hired some mates my sister and I trained them up like this is what good looks like for me based on my, my learning and being in the trenches you know the last couple of years prior and then we started to grow and we started to service clients and more money came in then we got a new account manager and it was it was great for a while but then it got to a point where mine and Ben's values completely collided and we weren't arguing by any means but he was doing stuff that I didn't agree with I was doing stuff that he didn't back and I just said to him in, what was it, 2011, I'm done. Like, let's, let's split. We clearly are not a cohesive unit. We're not a team. Our team are leaving. We're pr producing half ass work, which kills me. Mm. And let's split up. And he said, yes. <laughs> I was like, great. I'm going to go and create Think Tech Social. And we negotiated what that looked like. I took the clients across, built a team up. He went off and worked for Facebook. And now he's a very successful entrepreneur over in, in the States. But. Yeah, just that split was pinnacle in in taking me to where I am today, and it was a bit scary because I was by myself. Yeah. So uh, that, um, but obviously, so so that all came about with, I guess, the, as you said, the misalignment of values, the values that you had and felt that were really vital in building a a solid foundation of on a, a company on, and and what his values were, the direction he wanted to head. You know. In your experience, like how important is that cohesive value and the, and the buy-in on the values 
intrinsically, not just sort of saying, yeah, I value, you know, communication, but, you know, not actually embodying that and being, you know, and practicing it, you know, and showing up, you know, living those values. So how, how important in building an organization is it that those values are really um, embraced? It's the difference that makes the difference for success. So what I found is even back then, sometimes you're not aware of values until you then bring values up. All I knew was that my gut was going, yuck, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, oh, hang on a minute, like completely taking me in a different direction. So then I started to look at, well, who am I? What do I stand for? What does the company stand for? Where do we take them? Like where we take where do we take the company? What type of people do I want to work with me? What values do I want them to hold? And and then setting my company values and hiring based on that, like to some degree, really started to set us forward in a good direction. Right. So I reckon it's critical because you can't scale without people. You can't scale without culture. Like yeah. you can't like good people. You just can't scale. Yeah. You're just, you're replacing. Yeah. So so you've touched on it. so a couple of things that I've heard you say like building having people building on their strengths and you know, having people doing what they're good at and then you also said on the on the values of what they have so how has this influenced your recruiting process to to, to this moment today it's been critical so again early on like knew my values like knew the companies but then had a baby and then it kind of dropped a bit. <laughs> and I then was focusing on skill set. And as soon as I forgot about the values and the culture and it was just pure skill set, it, it all went to shit actually. And in 2012, when I had my second child, um, I remember I worked like right until the day in the office, went in, had a cesarean, came out, uh, got a call from the account, really sorry, this is three days later. You need to come in and sort the business out, it's gonna go under. Um, because I'd taken my eye off the ball and I'd hired on skill set because I was like, oh, you know, well, they don't need me in there because now they've got the skills. And it was the worst decision I ever made and, and the best decision I ever made where I looked at little Maxie at five days old and I was like, oh, my God, I'm breastfeeding. This little man needs me. But then this company does too. And I just spoke to my partner at the time and said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go in and rebuild. I just maximum remember it at five years old. And it killed me. It really did to start off with emotional and everything but then I was like no you've got to go and do a job you need to rebuild it you need to get it right this time so then I started hiring on culture again and investing in my team right so that, so that point there so so five a few days after you've just had max <laughs> you've basically been told the company's going you know and you recognize that because you've hired on skill set that those people just weren't able to yeah. to they weren't, they weren't cohesive in, as a team, as a unit, to, to make things keep moving forward while you had that time. So you've come in and gone, no, I, I need people that have these values at the core of them that I can really rely on and trust and build a business around that I know we've got each other's back no matter what. Yeah. I remember pulling the team in and I said, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. This is what I need. Like, this is where we're headed. And... Um, if you want to move somewhere else, I will find you another position. I will open up some doors, but you, you commit now. Otherwise, please walk out the door. And I had a couple of people leave. They just were like, nah. And then I let a few people go as well because of the work 
ethic and the style and the connection with the team and then just completely rebuilt it wow. again again <laughs> and then again and then again <laughs> now now like oh, 11 12 years later i'm pretty good right now <laughs> <laughs> awesome so so from that point forward though like things started to snowball and and think tank social went sort of gangbusters and so so as you've you've experienced this growth and this success like what happened to you personally in terms of you know did you did you stay really grounded did you did you did your vision get bigger like what what happens at that point once you start experiencing this really heightened level of success and demand vision got bigger ego got bigger bigger Right. <laughs> and ego drove me. I'm like, I'm getting all this attention. I love this attention. I'm helping people. They're coming back and saying, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have thought like that. Yeah. And then that's where I was like, right, I feel I'm unstoppable, invincible. And it was when we brought on Tobin Brothers in 2011, Tobin Brothers Funerals, that it made me take a, a pause to go, hang on a minute. This is not just about sales and building brands. This is about, again, like back to my core, helping people. And launching Tobin Brothers Funerals Online, a, a digital chapel through Facebook at the time, the, the impact I saw us having through posts and messages on social was phenomenal. And we had people coming back and saying, if it wasn't for you, I don't know how I'll get through today. And thank you so much. I'm going to send that to my niece. And it was just, it was beautiful. And, and, and yeah, it, it layered me with mm -hmm. more goodness and the ego came down a bit. But then it goes back up again <laughs> quite quickly, shortly after. Okay, so it's a... So that so so there was all these little little um, signposts along the way going, hey Sam, like I'm over here, like the core of you is over here, like this is the purpose behind what you're really doing. But there's a shiny objects over here from the ego like goes, oh I like this a lot, and we talk about this in uh, flow science. And, you know, one of my favorite saying from a from a, a guy named Stephen Kotler, um, he says, never trust the dopamine. The dopamine is the feel-good chemical we get when we, we get a like on Facebook or we get an email, you know, something or someone tells us nice or we, we do something we love doing or something that brings us into flow like, and it's also a focusing chemical. You know, so once the brain knows that by doing something or something happening, we get that shot of dopamine to our system, which essentially is, you know, human's natural form of cocaine, it goes, oh, I want that again. And I want it again and again and again and again and again. And so that shiny object along the side of those things where the dopamine is getting triggered, the brains are naturally you know, dragging away from that core purpose at times um, because potentially the dopamine or the reward system hasn't been intrinsically linked hard enough to that side of, um, of what's, what's you know, authentic to you. And, uh, you know, I've been guilty of it as many, many of us all have. Um, so, so being drawn to that side and that natural sort of gravitation towards that and the ego kind of getting, you know, rewarded and rewarded and rewarded, um, where did that lead you? Interesting how you explain that because <laughs> now I, I can see how much addicted I was to shiny new stuff. And that took me into a very exciting high place. Um, but then 
it all came crashing down where I had a big vision around helping athletes and transition in a smoother way into a career of their choice. And I took my off Think Tank Social, developed another agency, took some investment money and, and went off to the UK and Germany and South Africa and just started building that. And it was exciting. I was meeting new people and that vision was really coming true. But I, I left the core of TTS and my TTS family, bless mm. them, even though a lot of them survived there um, mm. and sat with me, it, it got to a point where bad, bad choice and investor, not enough money to pay employees each month, not enough coming in. Um, I had to dissolve it. And it was what gave me the biggest shock and the come down from it was looking at, you know, at my good friends, um, colleagues in the eye and saying, I'm going to have to terminate your employment effective immediately. And it was, it sucked. Yeah, it was, it was the crash from the high. Yeah. And it was the best thing that happened because it's made me now think twice before I take action. Like, for what purpose am I doing it? Is this going to help Think Tank Social? Is this going to help my family? Is this viable? Is, do I need a lawyer on board? Like, all these questions that I never asked because I was addicted to the high and the, the shiny new stuff, which was for the greater good of helping people still. But then I forgot about everything I'd already set up in the foundations. So, yeah, Think Tank was on its knees. And I borrowed money from parents and just tried to find a way to keep it all together myself back into the team invested back in the people and really cared for them probably more so than the clients because then they cared for the clients and then we yeah. started to rebuild and it felt good actually looking back if, if i if i was on my knees again a company i just know i could turn it around but i always knew i did and that's why i took those risks i probably backed my, back myself yeah i think that i think that's i mean the the ups and downs the resiliency of this of this journey you've been on You've shown you've shown time and time again that you know you've you said earlier you know what you loved about rugby was like I loved getting beaten up I like getting the bruises I loved the challenge da, da, da. so in in a way you've you've chased those bruises and the beat getting beaten up as 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 part of your growth journey like it's almost like you've you've unconsciously chosen to to go here 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 and because you like that rebuild, you you I think you like that rebuild and that challenge that comes from from that place. Yeah, um, that's that's what it sounds like, and I think it's just tell by your face yeah. kind of getting a bit, a bit lit up by that sort of um, mindset. So, but you did say just then, which I loved, that you actually focused more on your people and cared more for them because in turn they would be able to care more for the clients. So you took your focus off the the broader, the bigger, the shiny stuff, the clients and the, you know, the um, <laughs> where a lot of the reward would come from in terms of the feed, the feedback, like, oh, you know, we love working with you and all this. You took the focus off that and instead externalized that energy or that ego onto your team to take care of them. And you said that, um, I can't remember your exact words, but you said it changed everything. Can you talk a bit more about that? What what was the moment where you decided to do that? Um, and, how, and how did you do that? Well, my mentor at the time, he said to me, would you rather be a king, Sam, or a maker of kings? And I was like, hmm. Boom, that's, I love that. <laughs> right now, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right now, I'm being a king. And I'm like, I'm getting all the glory from all the clients. And I'm like, no, I, I can't grow that way. And I don't want to. And so then I'm like, no, I want to be a maker of kings. And I went in and I 
I've, I've got to understand the team better. Like I went out for drinks with them, took them out for lunch. The family, got some of their family. Like I just immersed myself in the connection with that individual and they were all different. Uh, but I was just, yeah, I was there. And then I said, we were a big family. We called it the TTS family. I was Mama TTS. It all changed. <laughs> yeah. And um, a very important person called Andrew Walton had come in at the time as well from an HR perspective and really helped me rebuild. That's when I changed my LinkedIn position from founder and director of social media to CEO. And I really felt I could do it. I'd earn my stripes. Whereas when I just got started, I, I, I never would call myself a CEO because I hadn't hadn't earned my stripes, but I've gone through enough war and wins <laughs> to say, yeah, well, I feel confident enough to change it onto LinkedIn now. And I did. Yeah. But a lot of internal growth as well. Like there's a lot of growth that comes with turning it, you know, the focus internally and going, no, I'm going to focus on others. I'm going to take care of others first and foremost. And, and I can appreciate that transition, that moment as well when it happens. And when it does happen, there's something um, intrinsically magical that happens inside of you. It's almost like there's this weight lifted off your shoulders almost as well and allows you the space and the, the, the courage and the, you know, the, the, the buzzword at the moment, vulnerability to, to sort of step out and just help others thrive. And that's pretty, pretty magical. But as you said, that's where everything changed and that was what has led to this family environment that you've created. Yeah, like, was it easy? Absolutely not. I kept finding myself going back to client and I had to keep pulling myself back again. Um, but it was totally worth it. Like, even I said to my team, I'll give you permission to fail just once, but you can fail on this stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be upset. And as soon as I said that, then in my mind, I was like, well, they're gonna make mistakes and you just can't save them. They're gonna have to learn from it. And yeah, yeah we, we failed a bit. We, we actually lost a couple of clients in, in doing that, but then they learn and we grew. Yeah. And that is, that is hugely crazy to, to give that level of autonomy to your people is, is in essence, you know, we talked about flow a little bit yesterday as well. And, you know, autonomy and control are flow triggers. When you give, when you empower people like that, they, they are going to be intrinsically more um, lit up and they're going to search for answers. They're going to take more responsibility. There's, there's more risk involved in that another flow trigger some novelty because all of a sudden now they can tap into their create the creative flow trigger and all these things. So just by saying it's okay to fail allows people to really go, Oh, I'm not, I'm not, it's not being, the score's not being kept here. I'm not under this microscope. I'm not being micromanaged. I'm not, you know, and then it just opens people up like a real, you know, like a blossoming flower in a way that, they can just be who they are and know that Sam's got my back. My teammates have got my back, just like a football, a rugby team would have. You know, someone makes a mistake on the field, we slap them on the butt and go, get back up, let's go yeah. again. You know, and know that, that everyone's there doing their best possible for the ultimate outcome, which is to win the game, which yeah. is to win the season, which is to win the cup. You know, so, so that's really... Powerful. So what did you notice? The, what was the most significant thing that you noticed when you really embedded this culture um, and, and changed the direction and your focus? What did you notice about your team 
the most? Initially growth and connective and cohesiveness, absolutely. But then what I also noticed was because I'd taken my eye off the ball completely, people took advantage of me. And I lost a major client in doing that. So what I've learned is give people the creative license, but still oversee it. Don't just give them everything, let them run with it because not everyone's a good person sometimes or not in the right frame of mind to make those decisions. And yeah, that, that threw me losing that client. But then again, like it makes you more rounded leader to go give them the creative license, but oversee it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really great book called um, Alive at Work. Which is which talks about that you, you know talking about what we just discussed like giving the autonomy, giving the creative licensing that freedom within the workplace, but it's got to still be within a framework and a boundary. So the box might not be that small; it might be that, which makes people gives them enough room to to flex their creative muscle, their innovation, their the things that really can light them up. But it's still there's still boundaries in there that that you know you're kind of governing going you're about to cross the line here we might need to reconsider that next move um and just being around that so so yeah so that i love that that's the biggest learning curve for me because yeah. yeah that that was like wow that was a massive wake-up call mm. yeah just to go oh hang on a minute all right yeah set set the expectation give them the, the creative license but then pull them pull their head back in if they're yeah they're crossing the line and and now we're, we're good in that respect. Yeah. And, and how's the, with this, <clears throat> this environment, so how are, the, how are the tough conversations now, the tough conversations that need to happen in the organisation when, when that line gets close? Like is there, do you find that there are easier conversations to have from that place or is it, are they still tough and challenging? Or how do you approach that? Yeah, like for me, I hate, I hate, hate, I hate hurting anyone. So for me, it's tough and challenging. But I'll, I'll make sure I nip it in the bud earlier, to the point where I don't have to have a really, really, really sorry. Um, your, your contract's gone effective immediately. Like, give them an idea of what's coming. And um, we need, we need you to focus here, or we need to focus more on BDM because of our cash flows on. Yeah, I don't bust people. I just say this is the environment right now and this is what we need and this is where I need to step up because we're going to review it at the end of November or the end of January and we need X by then. And if we haven't got X, <laughs> that's how I've been doing it as a poster. Yeah. And, and where, where does your feedback come from as a leader, as a CEO? Where do you draw your feedback on today to grow? My God, that's such a good question. Um, for, for me in growing, I'll listen to a lot of podcasts, but in terms of the feedback, um, you know, it'd actually probably come from my, my partner who is very much involved in, in what I do to pull me up pretty quick. Um, and two, two critical team members really that, that said, oh, you, you use those words um, and that's how they felt. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I didn't realise that person was like that. Um, I have to change the way I communicate. And also I remember the other day I, I cancelled a meeting on a team member like, like that because I suddenly had to get pulled into an emergency call, but I didn't have time to let her know. And she went to um, her, 
client relations manager and basically was just like, I'm gutted. You know, she was like nearly in tears that I cancelled her and not let her know. I was like, oh, okay. So this person needs this, you know, more nurturing and, and a bit more heads up. And I yeah, called her up afterwards and explained the situation. She was fine. But yes, yeah. in that feedback from my, my senior team on how they're feeling, I was pretty open. Yeah. And do you receive that feedback well? Is there any of that all that yeah, ego get triggered there when the when the feedback comes in. No, I'm pretty good with the feedback unless I really have context around why I did what I did. Like most of the time, I'm like hands up, wow, yes, I made a mistake. But sometimes I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not going to take that because I made that decision because of X, Y, Z. So mm-hmm. I can't be accountable for how that person felt because I needed to do this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people. I just I said to my senior team, you know, we need to really grow these juniors into being more resilient and not so emotional about stuff all the time. You know, of course, emotion is important, but at the end of the day, you can't take everything into work. We're not counsellors. We're here to, to nurture and grow, but we're not here to, to life coach everyone. <laughs> so that's where I stand my ground. Okay. Yeah. So sort of that, that bit of like that, and, and I use this term, I've started using this term and, and it's, and it's, it's sort of a, the thing that I'm, I'm building a program for next year called the Game Changer. And it's all around that. But the, the thing that sticks out that I want to put forward on that is that there's a gentle ferocity in success. Like when I played as an athlete, a squash, and, and was driven to become top five in the world, it was all about ferocity. Ferocity, win at all costs, do what it takes, get there, work harder, work harder do more, do more. And it's, there's definitely, that's required to, to, to grow as a person, to grow as a, to grow your skill set and your mindset. But there's a gentleness that you can do that with. There's a calmness behind that that underpins it that I think quite often can get mis, misplaced or, or forgotten about totally. And you know, taking care of that well-being and then also having the courage to unpack things and have frameworks around, you know, oh, Sam just cancelled on me without telling me. And then having the, the cognitive literacy to go, wow, I wonder if everything's okay. I wonder, there must be a really good reason for Sam to do that because history tells me that she doesn't do that. To have that cognitive literacy rather than to go, oh, my God, she hates me, I'm going to get fired. Um, but what did I do wrong? Oh my God, did I, you know, and go that way. So it's, so it's having that kind of there, but that, and then the gentler side of it to go, you know, let's sit back and just take a look at this for a second. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of build with that gentle ferocity, you know, have that kind of, yeah, I've got to, I, I probably just need to suck this up a little bit today. Um, but know how to do it in a gentle way that can uh, allow that space. To, to really get to the, the, the truth of the matter rather than let your brain go off and decide all of the crazy stuff that, um, all the crazy realities that you can imagine that are just so far from the truth. That's so true. It's all, it's all about self-awareness. I got asked a question the other day on another interview and they said, if you weren't doing what you were doing, what would you do? You know, if you had all, you know, all the money, the support in the world, what would you do? And I said, I'd, I'd create a school of self-awareness. I'll get kids coming through from four years old, like, and I would I'd focus on that because when it comes to these times, to have the self awareness to go, okay, well, I'm not going to make this about me. I, I wonder what's happening with her, and I'll check in afterwards, and and then move on and get through my day. And it's it's yeah, it, it is all about self awareness, and 
we get interns come in and they don't have it. And I spoke um, again on the call earlier, I said this is kind of unspoken curriculum that we need to start to bring in now around, yeah. around self-awareness and, and choices and, and self-talk and emotions and decisions. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, and so this is where I think, you know, and, and the work that I, and we talked a bit about this yesterday in terms of organisations have have the ability to, to scale this a lot quicker, this sort of, that education, you know, we talk about flow and well-being and performance. And it's, it's you know, I believe the future of organisations should have a coach embedded into their organisation to be able to go, all right, let's, let's work on the tough stuff that's going to, that's going to, facilitate your personal growth, your work growth, um, your professional experience, and be able to, to, to contextualize it all into this framework for them so that they become you know, more excited and happy at work, better people at home, are out there doing things that really excite them. And if you get people that can do that, and you've got organizations that really go, yeah, our main focus here is to, to build up brands and things like this, but our culture is about looking after our people. And it's like, you know, coaching at Squash Australia for the, the national squash teams, you know, I was big on the mindset stuff. But the, the technical side of things, the physical side of things, when you're only one person running, you know, a national program, you can't take care of all those things. So you want to bring in a sports psychologist, you want to bring in a nutritionist and, and all those things. And I think organisations have the opportunity, especially today, with COVID and everything that's happening moving forward to bring in coaching specialists that can actually contextualize and help people frame things better and help work on that self-awareness piece yeah. that will only enhance the culture, enhance the workplace environment, make the productivity uh, substantially greater and just, you know, have healthier, happier human beings uh, out there because, you know, even yourself, you've got the experience of life coaching, NLP, and all these wonderful lessons in life of failure and success that you have that you can give to these people. But there's only so many hours in the day. And again, we want to stay in our lanes a little bit. We don't want to. And you got to, and sometimes, you know, our, our athletes or our team don't want to open up to that person up there about that issue just yet because it may be seen as weakness or it may be seen as something that might be cause a problem or anything. So I think there's huge opportunities in there for organizations to go, we really want to do this, but we can't do it ourselves and, and, and bring in people to, to help with that. So, um, but your awareness around it is really refreshing and really, you know, forward thinking. And it's really, you know, I love listening to you talk about that and the learns and the, and the, the fact that you can put your hand up and go, yeah, I probably made some mistakes there. And, but you've also got that grit underneath it, that, that toughness to go, come on, let's just get back up and let's get going and let's get at this, you know. And that's what, you know, I think that combination is really that sort of gentle ferocity is, you know, I think you embody that term in my mind when I say it. So that's super cool. I like that, um, okay, so, so just before we, we touch on this, so... You put up a uh, article on LinkedIn not too long ago about um, TTS, the value, the, the values of the company, and and I read this article and I was really, uh, I was drawn to it and I really enjoyed it. But the values are courage, heart, innovation, and empowerment. 
which I think anyone that's just listened to this this interview could say that your story basically embodies those values and your journey. And um, so how do you encourage your team or people coming into your organization to, to show up courageously, lead with heart, you know, it be innovative and not for you to, well, not just you, the leaders to empower, but everyone to empower each other. Like what are some of the behaviors that are staple in your organization that go, we, we live this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, with, a, with, a, with a lot of them right now is showing them from, from more of the senior team and that we've been bold and courageous around bringing um, an ex-golf and Netball Australia event live through Zoom and Facebook. And in doing that, like we were bold enough when the client said no to go back again and say, hey, we really believe this is going to work. We've got a, a backup plan. Like, please do it because you'll get so much more leverage. And they've taken that up and, and, the, and they did. And for me, then it's like highlighting on social and obviously speaking to the individuals that made it happen to say, Marisa, she showed courage, like highlighting the value of courage and what she did in her boldness to get this client from here to here because they weren't going to. Um, and with other team members' heart in terms of one team member, like notice unusual behaviour and brought that to me and then we had a conversation with the other team member and that was like really showed heart. Um, and heart with our clients. So it's all around me constantly, and not just me, our senior team, every Monday we have something called Thank Goodness It's Monday and we talk about wins, but not just wins with clients, wins in personal development and we'll bring those values in as an example of. Mm, I love that. That's that's super cool. And so how did you, so through COVID, obviously you, you guys in Melbourne have been in some serious lockdown, especially over the last 100 odd days. Um, how have you how have you managed this? And 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 again, I'll, I want to touch on the well-being piece. Like, how do you, you know, what's your philosophy on well-being in your organization? And and what are some of the things you strategies you've got in place to help with your team's well-being? Um, and I want to talk to you about the um, the thing I keep seeing on social media, the ten before ten. Okay. So because I think that may tie into this a little bit. Just a little bit, Paul. <laughs> so when we went, when we were into it, um, honestly, I, I didn't deal with. I think my team probably dealt with it better than I did. I wasn't jumping on planes. I wasn't meeting people, doing new deals face to face. Stuck behind a computer. I couldn't even see my team. And I just thought, what's one thing that I love doing and that gives me that high? And it's exercise. And I'm like, okay, if I can bring in. Exercise, even if it's once a week where the team get together, we're doing something new, we can share that on socials, it's good content, and then that's one thing I can do to look after their mental well-being. And I bought them all PTP packs of a client of ours, strength and conditioning bands or yoga mats. Yep, yep. Well, right. so work out from home and hired a PT, and we're still doing it to this day. Like, and and we've got well, we've got a team in Perth and, and Queensland as well. But we all zoom in every Wednesday for 10 minutes, work out, and it's incredible. We all leave and we feel pumped. And what we've found is since doing that, we've been very innovative because we've been running a course with their IOS with athletes and personal branding. And they've reached out and go, what's this 10 before 10? Can I, can I, can I join? And I'm like, can you do a workout with us? So what we found was after that that we were having our PT 
it was more than 10 minutes then, PT doing 10 minutes, and then a professional athlete, how cool was that coming in and doing 10 minutes? And then we interviewed the athlete around their life, which then gave us content and a story. So just from that one thing of going, all right, well, well what, the, what gives me a high? And hopefully that would give other people a high. It's yeah. created a new a new concept and story for us. Yeah. And before 10 show. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I never so thought that's something you think that you'll <clears throat> this this will be a staple now within the organisation. Yep. Yep. You know, it's, um, I was, at my last flowcast, I spoke with the head coach of Harvard squash team, Mike Way, and we talked about the differences of the way he's been running the program since COVID hit. He goes, "What we've found is we've found some phenomenal um, ways of of deeper connection, like deep connection with." the athletes and even the coaching staff together through COVID because they've had to pivot and, and be flexible and change. They've actually found strategies that have worked so well that regardless of what happens moving forward, things would get back to where they were, how things open up again, they're going to embed those into their coach, their strategies. So there's something like that. And do you have another example of something that's that through COVID you've gone, huh, this actually works extremely well. And this is possible now. We're going to keep. We're going to keep hold of this now as the world starts to hopefully get back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah, the, the one thing that comes to mind immediately is I think we're even more innovative than we ever have been before, and we're even more bold to put forward our ideas. So when we went into it, we were like, we assessed the clients, and we were like, we might lose this client. Damn, we might lose this client. That's like forty grand in revenue. We probably we may drop. We need to do everything we can and come closer to a team and come up with out-of-the-box ideas to help these clients survive. And actually, I got on a massive high. Quite a few of the team did because we were like new ideas. We were trying stuff, testing and learning. It was working. With one client, we took them from, I think they were like $30,000 turnover on their online store for the year. We were doing $250,000 a month. Like, granted, it was wow. a product in demand, but because we were thinking of different ways to enhance it and working with them, they had incredible ideas as well. We just grew it. And then, like, we were looking, we're working with childcare centres. We're like, what can we do here, you know, in terms and, – and Tone Brothers Funerals, online online learning. We did Facebook Lives, cookery classes. It's just all that stuff that we never would have thought of doing that mm. now I think it's made us – not to say we're ever complacent, but we've got more spark. Each time a new client comes on, we're like – Okay, what else can we do? What else can we do? How can we bring this partner in? So we're, we're, we're more sharp than ever before. And that oh. will be the case moving forward, without a doubt. We've got clients. We're running online events. that We we didn't even see ourselves as an event company, but we're doing events now. Like we've created a new product from this. Yeah. Which we will continuously do. It's, yeah. yeah. It's been a bit of a blessing as well as a curse as a slight. Well, I think that's, I think that's really important to touch on is, is that, as much adversity, you know, through this adversity, like if you if you're willing to sort of lean into that fear, that the the uncomfortable side of it, and go, okay, let's this is this is this is the reality. This is what we're dealing with. How do we? What can we get from this? Look, how do we use this to think differently? To to look at the world differently? To look at our businesses differently? To look at our 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 even our own personal patterns differently? You know, how do we? spending more time with your family at home like you know the awareness around how you communicate it there's so many amazing opportunities presented to us like going back to like do i stop and feel the sand between my toes moments um that i think the, the one big lesson that i think is really valuable is that 
when adversity strikes, that's this, it's all opportunity. If you look for it, if you have that mental framework, going back to preparing young people for that awareness to go, oh yeah, this, this is, I'm struggling. This is, this hurts. Where's the growth in this? Where's the opportunity? And it may not happen straight away, but if you continuously show up with that attitude and that mindset, answers will come, innovation will come, and and you'll find those things that you go, all the crap, we're an events company now. Let's do it. And this is working and and it's it's innovation. So it's going back to the core of your values again. And it all links in so beautifully. So funny that <laughs> values and amazing. Amazing. Um, and I think it's a testament to your leadership as well. And I think that, you know, listening to your journey and your stories around that, like it's really, as I said, refreshing to, to, to listen to that and for you to share all that as, as well with us, you know, it, it's really cool. And I, I know that a lot of people like myself will get a lot of value out of this conversation. Um, so, just to sort of start wrapping things up a little bit here, and I really don't want the conversation to end because I'm just I'm, I'm loving it every minute of it. Um, but um, so entrepreneurship, what what is entrepreneurship to you? And well, let's, you know, what was entrepreneurship to you back in early two thousands, or you know, to, even towards two thousand ten? to what it is today and what are the opportunities with it? Good question. Um, entrepreneurship to me is literally identifying a gap in the market and being bold enough to come, well, and, and if you believe you have a solution, being bold enough to back yourself and deliver that solution, whether that's from earning millions and millions of dollars to earning nothing, really as long as you're providing a solution in the market. And back then in when I first got started, it was all about I'm an entrepreneur and I can do what I want and I'm going to make as much money as possible. Whereas now it's, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur still, yes, because I'm always looking for how I can provide solutions, but I'm not money driven as much. It's like, how do we help people? It comes back to help again. And, and maybe that's because now I've got some money from hustling so hard to keep me afloat that I've gone back to, entrepreneurship doesn't have to be about earning shit ton of money it's about helping someone get what they want or adding value into the community with a product or service that's not out there right now yeah i love that answer that's really cool um and so do you still consider yourself an entrepreneur yeah absolutely i'm always looking for yeah i've just taken on board a, a, another business at the moment i will a distributor for another business at the moment because I see an opportunity in the market and there's not a product out there and I know I can sell it and I know it's going to add value to these athletes. So yeah, I always will be. Um, yeah. And I'll always, I think with an entrepreneur as well, it's like you, you stay in the game long enough to start alive and you don't give up. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a never ending journey Yeah. of, of exploration now. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's so cool. Um, and then, with, you know, you described some pretty epic moments in your time um, of peak experiences and and, and I, I want to get your take on what you believe uh, flow is to you. Like what do you experience when, 
you know, you performed at your best, you felt your best, like everything's just firing on all cylinders. You know, what is that to you? What does it feel like? And and what and how would you express that to somebody? And what, how would you explain it? I'm just lighting up hearing it. It's it's really when things become quite effortless and easy and things come to you without you having to make anything happen. It's like it's not hard. It's 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 yeah it's it's a flow it's 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 easy it's moving forwards opportunities are coming they're coming more they're coming more happiness growth yeah that's what it means to me yeah and and so what gives you that feeling today and and i'll, and I'll let you answer this in two parts one within your work and two outside of work what gives you flow or those moments of that rapt attention, effortlessness and sense of self disappearing and time mm-hmm. going by quickly, fleetingly. And what gives you that at work and away from work? So at work, it's with, like just even coming off a call with Alex Hayden yesterday, I felt we were both in flow. We were coming up with ideas. We knew where we wanted to take it. It was just easy. We were not scratching our heads. We were just like, wow, this is this is in flow. And, and she was. And I can't wait to be on that journey with her. It's one example to a teammate where they start to overtake or take on, thank goodness it's Monday and I see growth and I'm on the journey with them. And that's that's cool. That's good flow. And outside of work, it's it's finishing the day and, and, and spending time with my partner and my kids and, and feeling the support and the love and the flow for that as well, that then I can come back and bring it back into work again with. Yeah. Um, and and mum and dad, it's yeah, it's just when you can just have those conversations and it's not hard and you know the person at the other end is going to listen and help you on some level. That's it's a deep connection. Yeah, super deep. A lot of flow from that. Yeah, and then going back to what you said right from the start, I love people. I love interacting with people. Like that thing, I can see it lights you up, and that's the energy that that we get from you and it's really it's addictive it's great <laughs> it's addictive. you see that it gets you get you in that flow space but is there a certain activity is there is there a um absolutely sorry um, and exercise yeah just like booking in a pt session and, and you know, working out for 45 minutes or even just going for a walk just i need it and there was points in my life where i was too busy and didn't do it and it really it was so bad for me yeah. So now it's like at least three to four times a week, like work out, get the body moving, get the mind flowing and finish at the end. You're like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, you know, this, the science just in the work that we do is, you know, you've got to have, you've got to move the body. You want to move the mind, the, the body's got to move as well. You know, and in particular in those moments of struggle, you know, flow is a four stage cycle, the struggle release flow and recovery. And, you know, a good tip for maybe you can bring to your team is that if, if any of you are struggling with ideas, you know, I just can't, I can't get things out on paper or just, you know, I know we've got to come up with a, uh, an idea for a client, but I'm just, I'm blocked. Like go out for a 25 minute walk, no phones, no nothing. Gaze out into the peripheral of the, the earth. Don't focus too narrowly in, into something or the footpath in front of you or the field in front of you let your gaze go wide because your eyes it sets you into more of a um, meditative state when you gaze out that's why looking at the uh, horizon on the ocean or landscape is so healthy for you um 
because our eyes are a gateway to focus. If we narrow it's like a dartboard, right? If you <laughs> aim for the bullseye, you're like this. But if you aim for the dartboard, you're a little more open and relaxed. So relax, walk for 25 minutes, and you walk yourself into a transient frontal hyper, uh, transient frontal hyper, uh, frontality, which is where your prefrontal cortex or your decision makers start to come offline a little bit, and that's where you're on the borderline of flow then. And that's when you'll start to release, and then the ideas will start coming. So maybe for your team that need to constantly be creative and come up with ideas, if there's ever that moment of block, just go for a 25-minute walk. It's about 20, 25 minutes transient hyperfrontality kicks in. Um, go for a walk, and the answers will come. Come back, sit down, drop into flow, and plays what comes out of it. Uh, sound advice. I certainly will share that with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Sam, I just want to finish on. I, I want you to tell us, because we haven't really touched on this. We've talked a lot about clients and socials and ideas and things like that. But tell us all what uh, TTS is all about, what you do, who you help, and how people can get in touch with you to work with your the amazing organization and uh, to benefit from the, the awesome work that you guys are all doing. I would love to be full. We, we are all about helping people, whether that's a marketing manager and a brand to grow or an individual, say an athlete to grow through their personal brand. So we're, we're growth marketing and we're focused on education as a pillar. So within schools, educating kids to around career pathways and self-awareness and values um, to personal branding, which we're working with a lot of athletes right now with the AOS program and creating their own brand. Who are they, what they stand for and where they can take that. Yeah. So then working with companies and big brands around, not just big brands, brands around growth, how they're going to scale, partnerships, strategy, creative, e-com, digital. So there are three pillars, growth yeah. marketing, education, personal branding, and we do a lot of that through partnerships and we do a lot of it through digital. Yeah. And, and how do people get in touch with you? So website, thinktanksocial.com.au, or you can check us out on our socials as well, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, same, Think Tank Social. You, you're all over the, the lot of it. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will make sure that we've got all the links to you and uh, TTS um, on the show notes and, and all of our socials as well um, so that anyone that wants to engage or have a conversation with you about what you're up to and how you can help them, uh, they can get in touch directly but um but yeah look i think this has been a really really valuable conversation and uh i'm grateful that you've taken the time out of your busy schedule to uh to chat with me about about your experiences and your story and it is a phenomenal story from playing rugby for england to breaking your leg to getting sponsors to sponsor your cast that, that shifted your whole focus and journey into life to bring you to become a, a true um, maker of kings, I think is really something special. So thank you for sharing that story. And I uh, look forward to uh, chatting and having many more conversations with you about it all. Oh, brilliant. Thank you, Paul, as well, for giving me the opportunity. And we're learning so much from you in terms of what you're doing with Flow. I was never aware of it. You know, just over the last couple of conversations, little things that I can now do and implement in with the team just to ensure that they, you know, they're not always constantly hit up on Zoom and they have their own time. And um, I think what you're doing is incredibly powerful and 
needs to be out there more in these organisations, helping everyone really get in their flow because who wouldn't want to be in flow, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's my thing. The more people that get lit up doing the things they love and they're passionate about, um, just by doing that, it makes some of the, the tougher stuff a lot more manageable and, and easy to get through. And, and um, yeah, I mean, the world needs a lot of people excited and lit up at the moment to to move forward and, and the benefits of mental health is huge. And that's obviously something that we're all struggled, we've all struggled with this year um, and, and our awareness around it has become so much more prevalent. So it's now providing the tools for people to go, these are the things that you need to be doing. Not once you get um, symptoms, it's just, this is how you should be living your life to be, to, to be fulfilled and, and to, to stay above that, that sort of uh, statistic. Um, I agree. Focus forward and flow. Love it. <laughs> Sam, thank you very much and all the best in the future. I know you're going to do amazingly huge things and uh, I look forward to watching and, uh, and seeing that journey. So thank you again. Thank you too, Paul. Cheers. Thank you for dialing into the Flowcast. I hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset, check out our flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com or you can follow us at Instagram. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us and please feel free to share and subscribe to the Flowcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow, and create your own inspired peak performances daily. She's just an amateur.